So book of Daniel chapter 7, if you'd like to turn to it. The heading in the NIV is Daniel's dream of four beasts. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night I looked and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. After that in my vision, at night I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. <clears throat> this horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Revelation chapter 4 and 5 this morning. So please turn to that passage, Revelation 4 and 5. Revelation chapter 4, starting at verse 1. After this I looked... And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, 
Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had, the face, had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or, or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain standing in the centre of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders 
In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The book of Revelation can be called the book of the overcomer. When you read the seven letters to the churches in chapters 2 and 3, you'll find a seven-fold repetition of this, of, of, of this kind of promise. Uh, chapter 2, verse 7, the first letter, for example, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And then chapter 3.21, which is the last of the letters. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Each time Jesus addresses one of the seven churches, he gives this promise. To you, to, to, to the one who overcomes, there is great blessing. And then you continue reading the book of Revelation and this theme of the overcomer continues to to reappear until finally in chapter 21 verse 7, God says to John, He who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. One of the great purposes of the book of Revelation is to encourage us to overcome to persevere in our faith and witness. And when you read the letter to the seven churches, something else very significant uh, becomes plain. You know, when you read Revelation, it's full of conflict. Uh, You you have these amazing visions of angels at at war with each other and, and forces of God and forces of evil. But we need to understand that this conflict is being fought out on the earth, in the local church, and in the world. We mustn't think of spiritual warfare as being you know, fought out by angels with spiritual laser guns like in Star Wars, shooting at each other. No, rather, this, this conflict is being fought for the hearts and minds and, and desires of, of people, of people on the earth, of people in the local church. It's being fought out here on earth. And as we overcome, so the victory of Christ is expressed and worked out on the earth. Revelation has at least two messages for us today. First, You must overcome and you can overcome. And second, there is a realistic picture of what overcoming actually looks like. Do you know that the battle to overcome is actually being fought out right here, right now, here this morning in South Barland? This morning, 
It hinges on how you and I respond to God's word. It's part of the battle. It's, only, it's not your whole battle, but it is part of the battle. How are you going to respond to God's word this morning? The people who originally received this letter, who were members of those seven churches, they were under great stress. Uh, we, we, we can see from the churches that some of them had already um, had to give their lives for the faith. There is widespread extreme pressure. And in several of these churches, widespread compromise was already taking place. So we read the letter to Sardis. It's virtually dead. There are, a few, there are only a few there who have not soiled their clothes. Jesus calls upon them to, to wake up and strengthen what remains. Laodicea, Laodicea is so repulsive that the Lord Jesus is about to spit them out of his mouth. What's the issue? Well, the issue is perseverance in faith, in, 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 uh, in, in, in bearing witness to Christ. Uh, emperor worship is on the rise. What you need to say is, Caesar is Lord. And to say that Jesus is Lord is totally contrary to all emperor worship and very dangerous. And so here is the urgent call. Overcome. Persevere. Do not give up. Now, of course, it's one thing to command people to persevere. It's another thing to equip them to do so. And that's what the book of Revelation does. And that's part of the great purpose of chapters 4 and 5. God gives us, God gives his people who are struggling to survive in the faith, the greatest possible encouragement to persevere. He gives them a picture of the world, a picture of reality from heaven's point of view. And so those people that Andrew talked about this morning can, can get great encouragement from this chapter. But so can we. Here, here is the key point. Christ's people can overcome because Christ has overcome. You, you find that point in chapter 5, verse 5. One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. This word triumphed is actually the same word overcome. Revelation can be called the book of the overcomer, but not just because people are called to overcome. It's the book of the great overcomer. Jesus Christ has overcome. You see, this letter, this letter in, uh, sorry, this, this vision in chapters 4 and 5 flows out of the letters in chapters 3 and 4, uh, chapters 2 and 3, <laughs> um, and, and, and gives the reason why it's possible to overcome. It's possible to overcome because the great overcomer has overcome. And then it flows into the rest of the book, Revelation 4 and 5, uh, Revelation uh, 6 to 22. I'm terrible at my numbers this morning. 
Um, uh, you know, it, uh, there are two visions in Revelation. In chapters 1 to 3, it starts with this vision of the risen, glorified Lord Jesus Christ walking among the seven churches, holding the seven stars in his hand. And then, it, then there's a second vision from chapter 4 to 22, which begins with this amazing vision that we've read. Before we come to the great warfare of chapters 6 to 22, we see from chapters 4 and 5 that Christ has already won the battle. So then, persevere in your faith. Do not give up. Do not compromise. Do not fall away. Don't find yourself being spat out of the mouth of Jesus. How foolish it would be to end your life on the wrong side of the battle that Christ has already won. So I've just given you a big picture and I want to now kind of sweep through this, this vision in chapters 4 and 5. I think it's really useful to see a tight connection between Daniel 7 and Revelation 4 and 5. Let me, let me just quickly outline the, the, the connections. There is a throne in heaven and there is a description of one sitting on the throne. There is fire, this is in both the visions, okay? There is fire before the throne and heavenly servants surrounding the throne. There is a book or a scroll that needs to be opened. There is a divine messianic figure who approaches the throne and who receives authority to reign forever and ever. The person who sees the vision, Daniel, in, in, in one case, and John, in the other case, both get distressed. They both receive comfort from a heavenly figure. In both cases, believers are said to reign forever and ever. And there is a concluding statement about the eternal reign of God. So, you know, Revelation 4 and 5 repeats, basically repeats what you find in Daniel 7. And the elements come in the same order. where basically John is witnessing the fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel 7. One like a son of man has come and he has taken up authority over every nation, people and tongue. What Daniel saw as prediction, John saw as fact, achieved fact. Jesus Christ, the risen and glorious one, has begun to reign. And so here we have a picture of, a picture of everything from a heavenly perspective. And right in the center of everything is the throne of God. The central fact is that God reigns. Uh, we we don't see that, do we? You know, we we uh, the, the twenty four hour news cycle, the, the 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 grabs you get, you know, you, you get the idea that power resides in Washington or Beijing, or maybe Hollywood. Uh, but 
reality, the reality is that power resides in God. He rules the universe. His throne is at the center and everything else is around it. Psalm 99 verse 1, The Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. On the throne is God the Father. Surrounding the throne, 24 other thrones with elders sitting on them, representing the people of God, those who have overcome. Old and New Testament. They are on thrones, ruling with Jesus, just as Jesus promised. Then there are four living creatures, one like a lion, one like an ox, one like a man, one like a flying eagle, representing the whole creation, worshipping, never stopping. They never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The creation is meant to do this. It is meant to honour and show God's power in his creation to glorify him for his work of creation. And this is how chapter 4 ends, with this picture of the 24 elders representing the people of God, casting down their crowns before God and joining with the rest of creation in worshipping the Lord and glorifying him for his creation. God He is holy and eternal. He is worthy of all glory and honour and power. For he created all things. And by his will, they were created and have their being. But then in chapter 5, the vision takes a new turn. John sees in the right hand of God the Father a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. What is this scroll? Why is it written on both sides? Why is it sealed up? Well, a clue to what it is comes from where it is. Psalm 110 verse uh, verse 1 says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And in the New Testament, that's interpreted as pointing to The fact that Christ ascends to the right hand of God the Father. In Ephesians 5.21, Paul describes Jesus as seated at the right hand of God, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. The right hand of God, the place of ultimate power, the place of honour, and authority. And in this right hand, there is a scroll. And when you read the book of Revelation, the rest of the book flows out. You know, as the seven seals are opened, so the rest of the book flows out of this scroll. It contains God's will and purpose for history now that Christ's work has been done. That period of history between the resurrection and the last day. The period in which we are living. The scroll contains history from God's viewpoint. But the scroll is sealed. It's closed. It 
God's purpose remains unexecuted and unrevealed. It remains closed. God's purpose can't go ahead. There is no one in the whole universe who is worthy to open the scroll. There is no one through whom God's purposes of redemption in the time that we're living now can proceed. John weeps and weeps because there is no one to open the scroll. Verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed or has overcome. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Well, who is this mighty one? You know, he's the the lion of the tribe of Judah, reminds us of Genesis 49, Jacob blessing his sons. He is the root of David, reminds us of Isaiah chapter 11. John is invited to look at this mighty one. What what will this mighty one, how glorious will he be? Will John be able to stand to look at him? John turns to look at him. And in verse 6, he sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Can you see how, how magnificent this is? Here is the gospel message in a single image or maybe a double image. The lion is the lamb. The Messiah, the great king who receives all authority and power and glory from the ancient of days, he is a sacrificial lamb. Why does he appear as if slain? Because he was slain. The great saviour, the victorious one, the one who alone is worthy to open the scroll, who alone is able to work out God's purposes in history. He is the lamb who was led to the slaughter. Yes, the lion has triumphed. There's no doubt about it. But he has not triumphed in the power of a lion. Rather, he has triumphed through the weakness of a lamb. He has achieved his victory through dying on the cross. Jesus Christ has entered death in order to defeat it. Why is the lamb looking as if he had been slain? Because he was slain, but he is now alive. When you, when you read the Old Testament, in the new creation, the lion and the lamb lie down together. But here, the lion and the lamb are brought together in Jesus Christ, in one image. Let's, you know, we can't go into all the details. Let's skim, let's skim through the rest of the, of the, of the vision uh, the lion lamb that Christ takes the scroll, he's clothed with authority to work out all of God's purposes. When did it happen, by the way? When did this happen? I think it's best to say that it happened when Christ ascended to heaven after he had risen from the dead. 
the prophecy of Daniel 7 has been fulfilled. We now see Jesus crowned with glory and honour. He receives for himself the kingdom. And as he takes the scroll, praise erupts around the throne. The four living creatures and the 24 elders sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will rule on the earth. When Christ, when Christ died, it looked like the greatest defeat, didn't it? It looked like a defeat. In fact, it was the point of great victory. At that very moment when Christ died, he was winning for himself. He was purchasing a people and making them a kingdom and priests to serve God and to rule the world. And his great victory was declared with power by his resurrection from the dead. Not only do the four living creatures and the 24 elders sing, now the angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 join in the chorus of praise, worship is swelling, and then, if my arms were longer, I'd reach out further. God, the, the praise goes, it spills out throughout the whole of creation. It's, it's saturated heaven, now it spills out into the rest of creation, into the farthest reaches of the universe. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. What do you think of this magnificent scene? What would the, the struggling churches in Asia Minor have thought of it? What, what are those people in, in Iran and Egypt that Andrew talked about and, and other persecuted Christians? What, what do they think of this amazing image? What do you think of it? Revelation tackles our deep understanding of the world. It urges us to understand our lives in a completely different way from the way that the world pictures our lives. We live in the same world, but it's a different, it's a different world view. It's, it's totally different from the way everyone else sees it. We're called to think of our lives in this world as, as in, in terms of a battle. We're involved in a battle and we are urged to overcome in that battle, to persevere in our faith. But it's not just a naked command to persevere. It's a, it's a command to persevere that's backed up by the, the strongest possible evidence, the strongest possible foundation. In fact, it's just a natural result of seeing the world from God's perspective. When you see the world as God sees it, then it would be the height of foolishness to, to give up, to give up your faith and to fail to overcome. The Lord Jesus Christ has overcome. 
He has achieved victory. He has done that through suffering. The lion has triumphed, but he has done so through the suffering of the lamb, the lamb of God. Are we going to allow a few difficulties to divert us from persevering? From going along the path to glory, to following him? Wouldn't that just be the height of folly? The book of Revelation is not unrealistic. It's not unrealistic about the difficulty of serving and following the Lord Jesus. You know, as you read on, you, you find that it's full of depictions of great suffering and trouble. The Christian life is not a walk in the park. It can be very difficult, and it's very difficult for many Christians around the world, as we've seen this morning. And Revelation is full of, of suffering and great trouble. So what does overcoming look like? Overcoming equals persevering in your faith. It equals persevering in your glad witness to Christ. It equals rejoicing with the angels when someone is converted. It equals taking huge pleasure when your children confess Christ and when they persevere in him. Victory does not mean what the world means by victory. Let your expectations be ruled by God's definition of overcoming. Think about it. When, when Jesus was first identified as the Lamb of God, you know, by, by John the Baptist, when he first said, look, the Lamb of God, what, what, what did that mean? Well, didn't it mean suffering and death? Jesus was the Passover Lamb, whose, lamb, whose blood was shed so that God's people might live. But what does the lamb, what does the, the word lamb imply in the book of Revelation? Well, after this, after this first use here in Revelation 4, it virtually becomes the name of the Lord Jesus. It implies victory, it implies overcoming. Now the lamb is the glorified risen one. There is a great bargain here, and it's a bargain that you would be foolish to ignore. Even if it came to the point of having to suffer for your faith to the point of death, at that moment of death, if you persevere, you will enter into glory and God will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Can even a hundred years of success as the world defines it replace that kind of commendation? Hundreds of thousands of Christians have trod that road to glory before you. Christ called them to persevere, to overcome, and they obeyed. The question is, will you join them? Let's come to God in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, 
Our lives are full of struggle and difficulty. But so is the book of Revelation. In our lives, we as Christians are subject to the attack of the devil and his minions. But so are your people in the book of Revelation. Thank you that this very same book declares that Jesus Christ has overcome, has persevered, has won the victory. And so please continue to help us to overcome, we pray. We ask this for your honour and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.